Now, earlier this month, a rocket engine explosion on a sea platform near a town off of Russia's far north coast claimed the lives of five scientists and caused a large increase in radiation. Aside from the immediate and most obvious concerns, the accident prompted the question of what exactly was going on here in terms of a secret Russian weapons test. Let's bring in Dr. Pavel Podvig, an independent analyst running the research project Russian Nuclear Forces. Dr. Podvig is also a senior research fellow at the UN Institute for Disarmament Research. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. As far as you are concerned and and the experts that you've either spoken to or heard from, what do you think most likely happened on August 8th? Well, the good answer is that we don't really know. Uh, there are, we, we know that there was an explosion, and we are certain that there was a release of radioactivity. Uh, but other than that, uh, there is a wide range of theories, and none of them uh, at this point appears to be uh, very, very satisfactory. What we've been told is that the explosion occurred while engineers were testing a nuclear isotope power source for a rocket engine. Uh, for, for most of us who are not nuclear scientists, what exactly does that mean? Well, uh, the isotope power source is a, is a device that uses the fact that certain isotopes, certain elements, uh, because of uh, their radioactivity, they uh, produce heat as they decay. And uh, that way uh, you can convert that heat into uh, electricity. Uh, and so you can have a fairly compact and uh, stable uh, source of power, electricity, uh, that does not require any fuel. Then these kind of things were used, uh, for example, uh, in space missions. Uh, but uh, what is puzzling here is that why you would need this kind of a, a isotope power source uh, in a system or a missile that includes a liquid fuel uh, propellant, whether it's a jet uh, engine or a rocket engine. So uh, this is not entirely clear why these things uh, were together in the same place at the same time. So can you speculate a little further as to as to why that would be the case? What, what would be the worst case scenario here in terms of what Russia might be testing? Well, uh, again, there are uh, there are uh, a range of possibilities. Uh, well, apparently, we know that there was uh, there was some uh, fuel there, uh, so and it probably was some kind of an engine and some radioactive uh, source or at least uh, radioactive elements uh, were were involved. That's not a very safe combination. Uh, let me put it that way. Uh, and we actually, we've seen that, that uh, the, the explosion uh, took lives of at least five uh, scientists. So there are, Russia's been working on a number of uh, systems, uh, military systems that are uh, said to be using nuclear power one way or another uh, from uh, this uh, exotic uh, cruise missile that uses nuclear power for propulsion to uh, the underwater drone uh, that also is said to be using a nuclear uh, nuclear reactor or nuclear power uh, to uh, as as a way of uh, getting around. Uh, so it could be one of those. It could be something that we haven't heard about before. Uh, some other uh, element, but we do know that 
Uh, again, we do know that the nuclear power was involved one way or another. And given that uh, scientists who uh, died in this accident uh, came from uh, one of the Russian uh, weapon labs, uh, we can guess that uh, it, it is a fairly high-profile uh, military uh, military system. There is this speculation about a nuclear-powered cruise missile, which you referred to before. The, the names like... Burovesnik or Skyfall have been thrown around, um, a description calling it a, a doomsday weapon. If that was the case, is, is this really uh, getting back towards the, the Cold War era and the development of weapons and actual pursuit of weapons that could destroy large parts of the world? Well, on, on its own, uh, this Burovesnik uh, system uh, may not be as doomsday as may appear, it is supposed to be carrying a nuclear warhead, and uh, a nuclear warhead is a, a pretty destructive, uh, a pretty destructive uh, device. So uh, it's the, the, the reason why it is referred as a doomsday weapon uh, is probably uh, that it's supposed to be used in a retaliatory strike so that when Russia would answer an attack, and so the, the scenario in which this uh, weapon would be used uh, appears to be a kind of a doomsday scenario. This is uh, something that uh, could come uh, in a in a large scale uh, nuclear war, uh, which uh, of course would be very very unfortunate event. Yeah, well, of course, this comes um, shortly after the abandonment by both Russia and the United States of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty signed by the U.S. and the Soviet Union then in 1987. And we'll continue to discuss the potential link between what happened there, uh, between Presidents Trump and Putin, uh, and what's likely to happen in the future. But for now, Dr. Pavel Podvig, Geneva-based independent Analyst, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And let's get straight into that issue with American expert Joe Cirincioni, president of the Plowshares Fund, a public grant-making foundation focused on nuclear weapons policy. Good to have you with us. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Are we plunged back into a Cold War era by the abandonment of that deal by, by Trump and Putin? Absolutely. There's no question about it. If you missed the 1980s, this is what it felt like. Uh, countries uh, increasing their rhetoric, increasing their, their programs, building new kinds of nuclear weapons, increasing the number of nuclear weapons, increasing the kinds of missions they would have for these nuclear weapons. It was a very scary time. It gave birth to the, the nuclear disarmament movement of that time, the nuclear freeze movement. We're seeing it happen at a lower level now. I mean, because of the progress of the last 40 years, we've greatly reduced the number of nuclear weapons in the world. We've gone from 70,000 nuclear weapons, most held by Russia and the United States, down to 14,000 nuclear weapons, still most held by Russia and the United States. But the reduction process has stopped. There are no more reductions. 
There are no talks about reductions. There are no talks about talks about reductions. All the nine nuclear-armed states are building new nuclear weapons, and Russia and the United States are setting the pace. What about the idea, though, that there would have been plenty of these tests going on under the radar that we only really know about this one because there was an explosion? Oh, no. We have very good intelligence on what other countries are doing with their nuclear weapons. The U.S. intelligence services, for example, uh, estimate that this is probably the 14th test that we've detected of this particular missile. Most of them have been failures. The longest one we've been able to see flew for about two minutes before it crashed. We're aware of other crashes. This is just the first with an explosion. We, We... These kinds of tests leave a very large signature. You can pick them up. So so we would have known about this, even if there hadn't been an accident. Just uh, as an aside, something I wanted to ask, and and maybe this is the only opportunity to do it, is there a, a danger of this radioactive fallout causing any further harm? Yes, but it decreases... Um, as your distance from the accident increases. So, you know, everybody, many people are, are remembering now because of the HBO show, the Chernobyl accident. Exactly. There was a major reactor, a big, big power reactor that blew up and spread radioactive, radioactivity for thousands of miles. This is not like that. The atmosphere is a very big place. The oceans are a very, very big place. And the further you get away from the accident, the more the radioactivity is diluted. So if you're a 1,000 miles away, uh, 2,000 miles away, this will not affect you. But if you're in the area, if you're in one of those Russian cities that are tens of miles or 100 miles or so, from, from the area, yes, you, you should be worried about the radioactivity. If you're eating uh, seafood, uh, fish that are caught from that, from that area, yes, you should be worried about it. What we think happened is that this cruise missile, which has regular rocket fuel in it, but also a small nuclear reactor, exploded, and the nuclear reactor exploded with it, and that's where the radiation comes from. It spewed the radioactivity into the atmosphere, into the ocean. It likely sank down to the bottom of the ocean. And remember, the radioactive material may be blown apart, but it's still radiating. So even the small particles are radiating. So you probably have intense radioactivity over tens of square uh, kilometers, maybe hundreds of square kilometers, and it will decrease the further away from the accident you get. In the context of denuclearization efforts, how should we be viewing this this incident? We, we talk about, for example, trying to denuclearize North Korea, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that would be no doubt celebrated widely if North Korea were to actually agree to denuclearize with clear steps. But that seems like almost a relatively insignificant issue next to the potential for Russia and the United States going at it. Well, it depends where you live. If you live in Korea, it is a very big issue. And, 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 but, there, you know, all these issues influence each other. 
if Korea continues its nuclear program and grows its arsenal, well, that's going to encourage other countries in the region to increase their arsenals. Uh, for example, and it might convince countries like Japan that maybe they should start their own nuclear arsenal. Similarly, if the U.S. and Russia are seen as increasingly emphasizing the importance of nuclear weapons to their security, developing new kinds of weapons, well, that's going to convince other, other countries also to spread their, their weapons. On the other hand, if the U.S. and Russia were to be in, engaged in arms control once again and limit these weapons, stop these new tests, roll back the programs, well, then you set the standard for the rest of the world and you encourage other countries to do that as well. You can develop talks that start to bring in China, that might bring in India and Pakistan, and that would include North Korea. These, these issues have always been linked, disarmament, and non-proliferation, stopping the growth of the existing arsenals and starting the spread of nuclear weapons to new countries have always proceeded hand in hand. Progress in one yields progress in the other. Failure in one leads to failure in the other. What's your sense and way we're heading? You already said we're kind of back into a Cold War era. Is there a danger realistically of this heating up again uh, given the leadership of russia the leadership of the united states and china right now for example major players on this issue uh the 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 idea for example that cooler heads will prevail is not happening in, in certain areas of great worry among the nuclear policy experts that that that, that i know almost everyone thinks that nuclear dangers are increasing that the danger that one of these weapons will be used is increasing, whether by miscalculation or intention. The crisis with Kashmir, for example, India's takeover of Kashmir has provoked fears that there could be an India-Pakistan war. Each of those countries has about 150 nuclear weapons. This could get very dangerous very quickly, could draw in China, who has about 300 nuclear weapons. So, yes, I think the dangers are increasing. We are back in a nuclear arms race. Every single one of the nine nuclear armed nations are increasing. They are building new weapons. You have to be a real optimist to think that we can keep 14,000 nuclear weapons in fallible human hands indefinitely and something terrible is not going to happen. If you keep these weapons around, sooner or later, something terrible is going to happen. Joe Cirincioni, president of the Plowshares Fund. Even if it's a pessimistic message, it's one that many of us clearly need to hear. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. Bye-bye. Not that, of course, many of us can do anything about it directly, but when it comes to elections, um, that's where the people can obviously have their say on how their leaders are handling these issues. Uh, Let's get now, though, to our news bite, 7.46, and we'll cross over to Kim Hae-young.